if I told you there was something that would increase your risk factors for death, would you avoid it? Something that has a higher mortality rate than air pollution, a higher mortality rate than being overweight, a higher mortality rate than a lack of exercise, a higher mortality rate than drinking six alcoholic beverages a day, something that has a higher mortality rate than smoking 15 cigarettes every single day of your life. Would you avoid it? This single risk factor is associated with a 29% increase in the risk of heart disease. A 32% increase in the risk of a stroke. This risk factor can also increase the risk of developing dementia by approximately 50% in older adults. Would you avoid it? What is this risk factor, you may be asking? Well, it's the lack of the gift of presence. Loneliness has been called an epidemic by some, including the Surgeon General of the United States, which is where those statistics come from. 52% of Americans report feeling lonely. 47% report their relationships with others aren't meaningful. Meaning I have acquaintances, but I don't have any meaningful friends or relationships. 41% of Americans say they don't have a best friend. 12% say they feel they don't have any close friends. 57, this this one shocked me. 57% of Americans report eating all, all meals alone. Not some. All. 58% of Americans reported that they sometimes or always feel like no one knows them well. And studies find that young adults in America report the highest amount of loneliness. One of the things that I hear most from people is that they feel alone. They, they say things like, I just don't feel like I fit in anywhere. And maybe some of you have caught yourself saying or thinking that. And this is something I've been thinking a lot about ever since COVID. Because COVID forced many people into a forced social isolation. If they weren't already isolated, going through that experience caused many to be forced into a feeling of isolation. And ever since then, it just seems like across the board, it's harder for people to relate to one another. It's harder for people to create and maintain friendships with one another. It's been difficult, just being honest, as as a church to try to plan events and gatherings only to have a handful of the same people show up each time. While also hearing people say, we feel lonely. This series, it's been mulling over in my head for a couple of years now. And 
the conclusion that I have reached is that many of us have forgotten how to be a friend to someone if we ever knew in the first place. And this led me to doing a word study um, about a year ago in the Bible and, and reading every time the Bible uses the word friend. You find it in places like early on in the Bible in Exodus thirty-three eleven. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Isaiah 41, 8, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Psalm 25, 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. John 15, 14 through 15, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And of course, if you're studying the word friend, you're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs. And and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the book of Proverbs. And today, I'm going to try to give you an overview of, from the book of Proverbs, of several of the key Proverbs about friendship. I also started reading every book that I could find on the subject of how to be a friend. First, I was surprised, though, how few are written about this subject. Quick question, when is the last time any of you read a book on how to be a friend? Anybody? Right? There are plenty of books written about how to be married. There are plenty of books that will teach you how to parent. Most of them contradict each other. There are even books written about how you as a child can get along with your parent. I know some of y'all have read that book. Right? But but when it comes to friends and how to be a friend, there's, there's really not that many books out there. And yet, without friends, I just read to you all of the negative health effects it can have on a person. You would think the shelves would be full of books. Maybe I'm giving you a multi-million dollar idea right now. Go write a book about friendship. God said it's not good for man to be alone. Yet, most people I talk to say they feel alone. And one of the reasons, especially for adults, is that it's, it's hard to make friends as an adult. I mean, I just, let's just be honest. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that this morning. What, I, what I'm encouraging and what I'm going to be uh, leading you through God's word and seeing how to be a faithful friend, it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. Because We don't make friends the way we did when we were kids. For those of you who grew up in public school, or maybe you had a homeschool co-op, it was easier to make friends. Because that's the people you were around. I I remember in public school and having something called homeroom, and it was was broke up. They, They would break the kids up 
by the last letter of their last name. First letter of the last name. Yeah, thank you. To this day, this is why one of my oldest friends' last name starts with an S. Because if you don't know, my last name starts with a T. And so we had homeroom together going all the way through. We had what I would call a proximity-based friendship at first. We met five days a week and we moved up grade by grade, sometimes gaining a few people in our homeroom and sometimes losing a few people. But if you're 45 and you're here this morning, you can't just try to find another 45-year-old in the room and just assume that you will be friends. It's not like it was when you were in grade school, right? And some of you made lifelong friends when you went to college. Again, your group was studying the same program. You had the same classes semester after semester. So again, there was this proximity and you you made some lifelong friends while in college. This is one of the things I loved about my last college experience because there was a, a group of about 18 to 20 of us in a cohort and we just moved from one class to the next as a group. We did that for three years. And even though I graduated two years ago, which is hard to believe, I still talk to most of those guys regularly. Some have even opened up their house and let me and my family stay with them as we were traveling through the cities that they live in. But again, when you're in your late 30s, 40s, or 50s and beyond, there are not that many of these types of opportunities available to you. Your job may offer some consistent interaction, but let's be honest, since COVID, the workplace is different. It's gotten even more fractured. There's work from home, there's hybrid schedules, there's this constant turnover from layoffs. Used to, people would put up with less than perfect work environments if they had close relationship with their coworkers. That's not the case anymore. If people even think the grass is greener, they will move for more money. I've seen the same thing happen in churches. Friendship is a wonderful gift when you have it, but it's incredibly hard to come by. Think about some of the most iconic TV shows and movies. I'm not going to name them because I don't want to tempt you. But one of the things that all the great ones have in common is they're typically about a group of friends. But one of my wife's favorites is West Wing. And and once a year, 156 episodes, we watch the West Wing. And guys, it's 156 episodes about government bureaucracy. Doesn't that sound riveting? But what keeps her watching is the relationships of the characters as they make their way through life. As they face adversity together. As they celebrate things together. Yet this is getting harder and harder to find. If you're here on Sunday half the month, I mean that's stretching it for some people. 
Because we've got businesses to run. We've got friends. We've got ball games or jujitsu. We've got vacations. We're all over the place nowadays. The, the sheer fact that family life requires more than it ever did before. Even back when I was a kid, it, it, it wasn't the way it is now. It's changed. Family life seems to consume so much time. And sadly, many, Christ, or many children nowadays are struggling with feelings of abandonment. Because of how little time they spend with their parents. And how much time they spend with coaches and teachers. If you're here this morning, I want to encourage you in the church app. Under the sermon section, there's a, there's a little section called Counseling Talks. And there's a, there's a new one that I put in there recently called New Trauma for a New Generation. I would encourage you, if you're a parent or want to be a parent or a grandparent, go and listen to that talk and understand all of the things children are dealing with now that we didn't deal with. We, we got home from school and the bullying ended. Nobody, nobody called me on my house phone to bully me. But it doesn't stop for this generation. You say, well, I don't take them there anymore. It doesn't matter. They're, they're dealing with all kinds of things that we never had to deal with. And yet feeling lonelier and lonelier. Technology can help us, but it can also hurt us. Technology gives us a platform to feel as though we're connecting with like-minded people all over the world that share similar interests and, and we can learn from them and that can be a good thing. But it can also become an echo chamber that leads to extremism. It can give us a sense that we're connected when we're really not. One thing technology is not great at is giving us good friends. It's good at making acquaintances. But how many real friends do you have? In a book called Friendship, an expose, one author states, an acquaintance is someone you may see often, but there is never an obligation to see them again. You run into them at the grocery store, you see them at work, but you don't feel any obligation to plan something with them ever again. An acquaintance is someone you just run into all the time. You end up at the same places like work or ball games or jujitsu practice. You think you're friends, but you're really just acquaintances. I love what one author said, your friends will know you better in the first minute you meet than your acquaintances will know you in a thousand years. We all have families, some far, some may be estranged, but at some point there are family connections and we have to, to sort through those. But friendship, it kind of feels optional nowadays. You're born into a family, but you choose your friends. I think because of my love for the church and what the church is supposed to be about, one of my favorite kinds of movies and TVs 
shows focuses around the idea of found family. A found family, if you've not heard that concept, is that choice that a group of people make to elevate their friendship to the equivalent of family. Proverbs 26 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Now you may say that verse like this, a faithful friend who can find. And this is the question that I want to focus on this morning in in, in our quest to overcome loneliness is how to be a faithful friend. Many people, though, what they try to do is they try to focus on how do I get friends? Understand the difference? How can I be a faithful friend versus how do I get friends? Sadly, some of the most needy people to make friends are often those the least successful in their quest for friendship because they are focusing So hard on how to get friends instead of being a faithful friend. So if you're here this morning and you think, man, this is, why did I come this Sunday? I've been here for a while and I really don't know anybody. It's, it's necessary for people to come and invite you and welcome you. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about this morning is only what you can control. You can't control the people around you as much as some of you want to. You can only control you and how you act and respond. And if you leave here this morning thinking, I'm just one of those needy people with with an empty love tank and I'm just waiting for people to come and befriend me, that is usually a recipe for disaster And loneliness. Because it's very hard to be that person's friend. Instead, I hope you leave here this morning thinking, what must I do? What what must I change in my behavior to be a faithful friend? What can I do to be the kind of friend that God's word calls us all to be? If you're here this morning and you're taking notes, I'm going to break it down into four questions that I want to ask yourself. And for those of you in small group, you may see some of these this week. Here are the four questions. Are you a fair weather friend? Are you a negative friend? Are you a rude friend? Or are you you a faithful friend? Are you a fair weather friend, a negative friend, a rude friend, or a faithful friend? Number one, are you a fair weather friend? One of the characteristics of a fair weather friend in the book of Proverbs is that he or she uses people to get what they want. A fair weather friend makes Friends with people who can give them something. They establish relationships on the sole basis of personal gain. 
In Proverbs, this usually means money. Listen to Proverbs 14.20. The poor is disliked by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Proverbs 19.4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Proverbs 19, 6 and 7, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. In Proverbs, we see that wealth attracts friends, or at least so-called friends. But money, or really The love of money often complicates friendships. You can go back and read in Exodus 22, we're warned against getting entangled in loans for friends, putting up our cloaks for security and and co-signing basically on loans with friends. Because as some of you have probably experienced, when you mix business and friendship, it can get messy. If you're rich or successful, you can't help but wonder sometimes, what's the real reason this person is being so nice to me? You might even be suspicious of your own motives sometimes, and we should be. We we should ask, why am I drawn to this person? Am I drawn to them because I think they will do something for me, that I will get something out of this relationship? And again, it could be looks, it could be wealth, it could be success. It could be anything that elevates someone as a person of greater value in your eyes that you want to be close to. This week, we laid to rest Jimmy Carter's wife. And one of the things that I always admired about Jimmy Carter was that if you ever wanted to see him or meet him, Unlike any other former president, all you had to do was go to Sunday school. That's all you had to do. Now, don't get me wrong. You had to go past Secret Service and through some bomb dogs. But then you just went to Sunday school. He, he taught at a small church in Plains, Georgia. Plains, Georgia, for those of you who don't know, has a population of 573 people. This is the church. I looked at the inside. Seat's about the same as our church. We're not talking about some kind of mega church somewhere. And he would teach Sunday school in the sanctuary almost every Sunday. He's the only president in American history to teach Sunday school while in office. This was a man that was humble and didn't, he knew and cared about people, right? He could have walled himself off in some fortress of a house that was bulletproof by the Secret Service and you never would see him. But instead, he served as a deacon and actively taught Sunday school up until the age of 96. His health and COVID is the only reason he stopped teaching. 
Thousands would go to this tiny church filling the sanctuary to hear him teach. And he did it because he cared about people and it didn't matter that he was a president. He genuinely cared about people and their souls. I don't agree with all of his politics. I probably don't agree with any of your politics. All of your politics, anyway. Right? But I I can agree the man cared about people. Do you genuinely care about people? Not just what can this person do for me? How can this person advance my career? How can this networking help me in the future? Do you genuinely care about people? We need to make sure that we love the person we love and we don't just love what they can give us this morning. Money is the main example in Proverbs, but there are many other ways to use people, right? Their notoriety, their popularity. Today, though, it's not just politicians and celebrities. Now we have this new class of people called influencers. And any of you could be one of those. Every, every, all, all an influencer is, for those of you who don't know, is just a person with a very large online presence. And again, that, that could be anyone. You, you don't know sometimes. And, and it's a very slippery slope nowadays where everyone is supposed to be networking and you have your so-called friends online and everybody wants to be liked by everybody. And again, you have, to, you have to ask yourself, why am I being nice to this person? Why, why do they like me? Are, are they trying to use me? Are, are they trying to establish this relationship so they can get to somebody else that I know? Or perhaps they might try to use your platform or want to find ways to use each other's platform. That's, that's not a real friendship. It's it's not wrong in business to ask people to do things with you and advertise with you, but that's not friendship. Don't confuse the two. Are are you drawn in by self-promotion? What this person might be able to do for you or how you can promote yourself? We live in an age and a generation where that's what everybody wants to do. Or perhaps they're close to people, again, that you want to get close to. Or can do favors for you. Are you a fair-weather friend? Are you just in it for you? The second question this morning is, are you a negative friend? Now, a negative friend is the kind of person that's quick to criticize. This is a person that I, I, I find it's one of the hardest to befriend. Right? This, this is the Eeyore. You, you do know that every one of those characters is a relational type. In that, Yeah, okay. Just making sure. Sometimes they just think it's about honey and a bear. So, Speaking of Winnie the Pooh. This is off my notes, but man, he has a great quote about friendship. His life without friends is like a pot without a drop of honey. 
That one's free. So, <laughs> this kind of person is, is hypercritical. And what I mean by that is they have an opinion about everything. And they verbalize it. They are a relentless barrage of negativity. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to befriend a person that is the opposite of that? Benjamin Disraeli and William Gladstone were competing for the position of prime minister in the United Kingdom. And these two ladies, or excuse me, these two leaders went down in history, um, but they had very contrasting personalities. And not surprising to the people of the time, uh, Benjamin Disraeli won the election. Now, his opponent, William Gladstone, was a very clever and witty person. He, he, in fact, he was brilliant. He pretty much knew everything, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating about the man. He, he was brilliant. And based on his wit and experience, he, he had what it took to win the election. But what made the difference was summed up best by Winston Churchill's mom. She went to dinner with both of them. Her name was Jenny Jerome. And when a journalist asked her what her impression of the two men were, this is, this is how she responded. When I left the dining room after sitting next to Mr. Gladstone, I thought he was the cleverest man in England. But when I sat next to Mr. Disraeli, I left feeling I was the cleverest woman. Disraeli had spent the whole evening asking her questions and listening to her responses. He wanted to know everything about her and he tried to steer the conversation back to her. Naturally, she talked. And we always feel good talking about ourselves. But Mr. Gladstone wanted to show how great he was. And so he spent the whole time talking. C.S. Lewis once observed that when you truly meet a humble person, you don't walk away thinking, oh, wow, they're very meek and humble. No, you think, wow, what a great time. I think I just talked about myself the whole time. Because they were humble enough to ask questions and to befriend you. Disraeli was a presence of great positivity. And she thought there was a man she just met and she would love to spend more time with him. And the voters thought that too. Which is why he won. In Proverbs eleven twelve, it says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. It's okay to have unspoken opinions. I'm not telling you not to have opinions. You just don't have to say them. Right? It, it, it's better... I'm going to paraphrase this proverb because this is from memory and I'm old. It's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought wise than to open your mouth and prove otherwise. So many good proverbs. Often we are sharing these opinions 
as a means of self-expression. We don't think of what our words may be doing or whether it's even necessary. Another good proverb, Proverbs ten 19, I'll paraphrase this. This isn't in the notes. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. When words are many, sin is not absent. If you find yourself sharing your opinion over and over with the same person, what you're really trying to do is control them. Don't be surprised if people avoid you because they don't want to be controlled by you. Here's the second question. Are you a rude friend? Proverbs three twenty nine through 30. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trust, trustingly beside you. Do not, be, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Have you ever done that to other people? Or have you ever had this happen to you? You, you almost ruin a friendship because you're having a bad day. Or, or because you're suspicious and, and jealous or too sensitive or too insensitive. In, in counseling, I see this happening all the times. People will come in for marriage counseling, and when you really get to the root of it, dad is upset with his wife, and then the dad will then turn his attention to the kids and be upset with them, and he takes it out on them. And the same thing happens in friendships too, right? Your, your boss yells at you at work, or, or the wife was upset with you at home before you left, or worse, both, th- both things happen. And then you see your friend and you're quick to snap and assume the worst and, and not give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, I know some of you might be tempted to think or say when you get to small group this week, Dale, this is just my personality. This is how God made me. No. It's about being rude. Rude people often are not aware of, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, or don't care about social customs. Let me give you two examples from Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. And all the parents with newborns or a kid with type 1 diabetes or a kid with autism, say amen. Now, once you have a relationship with someone, there's a way that you can tease the other person that actually builds a bond of laughter and brings people together and shared humor, right? The slide that I'm using this morning is my example of this. David and I have a relationship. We can, we can do these things. But how many of you would be highly offended if that was you wrapped up this morning? You're next. But there's also a way to tease, which is simply not loving your neighbor as yourself. Saying the sort of things you would never want anyone to say to you. And the Bible calls that rude. And the Bible says that love is not rude. 
And listen, not that young people are exempt from this, but I want to warn you adults. Sometimes you're careless with your words and it can be dangerous to the young people in our church. Especially if you have no idea what they're dealing with in their life. Your careless comment that you thought was funny can reinforce self-hatred. It can reinforce an eating disorder. And it can even lead to more self-harm. And again, I would encourage you to listen to that talk I mentioned earlier in the church app. So that you can understand and learn a little bit more about what kids are dealing with nowadays. That again, we never had to deal with. Here's another example, Proverbs 25, 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Now, hate is a strong word. And if we're honest, this verse is a bit of a paradox based on what I've been preaching. Because we actually want to have friends that feel comfortable in our house, right? We, we want friends that are like, Mikasa Sukasa. Come on over. Maybe you've had friends like that over the years. We love to have friends like that. But the danger is not that you have friends who are comfortable being around you. What this proverb is warning you about is about thoughtless presumption. No, no longer feeling the need to say please and thank you. It's, it's really a form of entitlement that this proverb is getting at. Basically, You have forgotten that it's not your home. That basic courtesy that it ain't your place. Right? This this is that friend that walks into your house and opens the fridge or opens the cupboard and grabs something to eat without asking you, not realizing that was an ingredient you needed for a meal two days from now. But in their minds, we're so good friends and we're so, I don't have to ask anymore. And so that common courtesy of, hey, can I drink this? Hey, can I eat this? It's gone out the window. Or not being considerate to your friend's time and staying late, knowing that they got to get up and go to work early the next day. Or not offering to clean up the mess you and your kids made, assuming your friend will do it. Oh, I got to go. See you later. Have fun with that for the next hour. Also, never inviting them over to your house, always assuming that you're going to go to theirs. This is that kind of presumption that this proverb is talking about. Now, this, this, some of you go, well, that, this is all, that's all really petty, silly stuff. It's all just cultural niceties. But it really is a matter of biblical obedience. That we are not rude and we love our neighbors as ourselves. We wouldn't want them to come over to our house, trash it and leave. Why would we think that's okay for us to do that? Rude friends can be annoying. And rude friends sometimes are liars. Listen to this proverb. Proverb 25, 18. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. 
So here's the example. The example here is of a deliberate liar, a deceiver, but often it's more subtle. Proverbs 3 says, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go home and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you now. In other words, a good friend is eager to meet the needs of a neighbor or a friend, not pushing them away, keeping them at arm's length. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have it today, but just come back tomorrow. I I don't want to be bothered with you and your troubles right now. Rude friends rarely hold up their end of a bargain. They don't return favors. They don't give back tools that they borrowed. I'm not going to look at anybody. Or worse, they give the tools back broken and don't tell you. So you don't find out until three months later when you need the tool. They're slow to help you and others. They, they look for ways of avoid being inconvenienced. It's like the old joke. You know how many friends you have when it's time to move. You, can, you can't ever trust them to keep their word. Rude friends are careless with their words. Have you ever read this proverb? Maybe it's a proverb some of you need to hear and memorize this morning. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Do you get the picture he's painting here? There's a madman in the street. He's got a flaming arrow and he's shooting it up into the air. He's just having a good time. He's not trying to kill anybody. He's not at war. But then someone approaches him with an arrow in his shoulder and they scream in pain to which the madman replies, it was just a joke. Now it may have been a joke for the madman, but the dude's shoulder's on fire with an arrow in it. It's not a joke to him. Some of us here This morning, hurt people with our words. And when someone confronts us about it, what we say to them, we respond, I was only joking, you're being so sensitive. Words like arrows can hurt after you launch them. No matter what your intention in launching them might have been. So be careful. And to be clear, there are people who are too sensitive And some people are offended by everything. But remember, we're focusing on what you can control. Those arrows you're flinging up in the air are the thing you can control. Their reaction is not what you can control. Are you a rude friend? Are you a negative friend? Are you a fair weather friend? Finally, are you a faithful friend? Proverbs not only tells us the kind of behaviors we should avoid, but it also gives us examples of how to be a faithful friend. And there's not enough time this morning, I know some of you are saying, thank you, Lord, for me to cover everything that Proverbs has to say about being a faithful friend. So I'm just going to give you a short synopsis, and then over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to unpack some of these ideas and thoughts more. But a faithful friend is there in times of trouble. Proverbs 27.10 Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. 
Now, this is a remarkable idea, especially considering the profound importance that many of us put on family. And this significance was even greater during the time in which these words were written. To express the idea that having a neighbor nearby or a friend is more beneficial in times of trouble than a distant brother is quite amazing. Considering the Old Testament's emphasis on family and kinship bonds, it's really somewhat unexpected to find a proverb advising against visiting a brother's house. And the underlying message here appears to be to be a reminder not to underestimate the value of friendship. True friends, according to this perspective, are just as reliable as a supportive family member. This encapsulates the the essence of genuine friendship. Now, here's the challenge for some of us here this morning, like myself. I am from here. I, I, in a 40-mile radius, somebody on that road is related to me. Okay? I, I have family everywhere, and that is a huge blessing most of the time. But the challenge is, for us in that position is to remember that there are many people that go to church with us, who work with us, that don't have any family in the area that they can call. And what they need is faithful friends, not fair weather friends, not negative friends, not rude friends. God is calling each of us here this morning to be faithful friends. Even when that means going to your friend's house instead of your brother's house or your sister's house, or your mom's house, or your children's house. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Having a lot of followers on Instagram is fine. Being connected to business contacts on LinkedIn can be valuable when you need to find a job. But real friendship, this proverb says, is proven in adversity. Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This morning, who would drop everything to be with you if your husband or your wife died? Who's going to visit you in the hospital? Who's going to be there if you're having marital problems? Who's going to be there if you lost your job? Who's going to be there if you lost your ability to drive? You see, the opposite of a fair weather friend is a faithful friend. A fair weather friend is in it for himself. And he will start screening your calls when your life gets messy. I ain't got time for that. But a faithful friend that hears your life is messy and says, I'm coming over. One thing that's always surprised me to hear And I've heard it many times at this point in my life. People get something like cancer, for instance, and they tell me how much they appreciate the cancer. And man, I'm going to tell you, as a young pastor, that was weird to hear. But but every time, the reason has been the same. They realize who their real friends are. Most people spend their life trying to impress fair-weather friends only to find out 
when they're entering a season of suffering that they were fair-weather friends. This morning, some of you are suffering, and this may be one way God is using that suffering for good in your life by making the real friendships that you have deeper, stronger, and sweeter. Have you ever considered that? Now, don't get me wrong. He's doing all kinds of things, but maybe one of the blessings that he wants to give you in the midst of whatever difficult it is, whatever marriage problems with your spouse, broken relationships with your kids, illness, whatever it is, he wants to give you the blessing of friends coming around you to care for you, to mourn for you, to pray for you, to laugh with you, to cry with you. If you've been around a church for a prolonged period of time, you've probably heard this last proverb. And if not in church, you may have heard it, a version of it in a movie or a TV show. But I find many people misunderstand this proverb. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Now the analogy infers that a faithful friend persists and doesn't shy away from constructive criticism. And this persistent friend whose wounds are faithful, you'll see that in 27.6, is the opposite of a fair-weather friend that you'll see in 27.14, or a cantankerous wife in verse 15. And they perform an indispensable task in a person's life. As a result of having a true friend, we develop the capacity to succeed in the tasks of life. Like the metaphor says, we become an effective tool. Right? The metaphor is about being a a good sword. And in the end, we will be thankful for this friend that has been like a flint rock sharpening us. It's not about two swords sharpening each other. The image here in Proverbs is is iron sharpening iron. It's someone who has an iron tool, an implement of some sort that, that needs to be sharpened like a sword. Some Christians wrongly use this verse again to give them license to say hurtful things. And, and a sword is good for something, but it, if your only mode as a friend is to cut, jab, and to destroy, you're not following this proverb. This proverb says, don't be a sword. It says, be a sharpening stone. Be that flinty rock on which a piece of iron can be hammered out. The sort of friend that makes others sharper, better, more effective, more Christ honoring. And of course, as you think about what sort of friend you are this morning. I want to conclude by reminding you of the kind of friend you have. If you're a Christian this morning. This friend is more faithful than any friend in the world. And that's the Lord Jesus. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. Of course, he's more than a friend. We would be reducing Jesus if we only knew him as a friend. After all, he's the second person of the Trinity. He's fully God. He's divine. He's our atoning sacrifice. He's the propitiation of our sins. But he's not less than a friend either. I think many Christians struggle with the concept of Jesus being our friend. Really exposes the fact that we struggle with having faithful friends and being a faithful friend 
ourselves. So the only category we have for a relationship with God is a one-sided relationship because that's all we know. And that error can manifest in one of two extremes. First, Jesus is only here to serve me. The relationship benefits me and it's for my glory. But the other extreme, which is just as wrong, is Jesus is only interested in himself. The relationship is only for his glory. And again, I think this kind of thinking exposes our beliefs more about what it means to be a friend than what the Bible says about our friendship with Jesus. Jesus is not a fair weather friend. He's not trying to get anything from you because you don't have anything to offer. Jesus, though, has everything to offer to you. Jesus gave his life for you as a ransom to save you when you couldn't save yourself. And he did that not while you were friends, but while you were enemies. Jesus is not a negative friend. He's not quick to criticize. Remember the tenderness of Jesus for the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8? Right? He said, let he who has no sin cast the first stone, right? And then verse 10, we read, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Jesus isn't a rude friend. He's slow to anger and long suffering with us. Jesus is never annoyed. Instead, he is thoughtful and tender and gentle with us. The idea that Jesus is the friend to sinners is only contemptible contemptible to those who feel that they don't belong in that category of sinner. And what does it mean that Christ is a friend to sinners? Well, the very least, it means he enjoys spending time with them. It also means that they feel welcome and comfortable around him. Here's the promise of the gospel and the message of the whole Bible. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. Consider the picture of Christ in Revelation chapter 3. Here he says to a group of Christians who are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. (laughs) Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Jesus will do what? I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This morning, Jesus wants to be with you. You, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked, you. And enjoy meals together. In other words, spend time with you. So he can deepen your friendship with him. He isn't waiting for you to trigger his heart. He's already standing at the door knocking. Wanting to come into you. So what's our job this morning? Our job this morning is to accept Christ's invitation to us to dine with him. And unlike all of our friends, the Lord Jesus never lets us down. He's always trustworthy. Never a fair weather friend. Never a negative friend. Never a rude friend. Always Always, always a faithful friend. And he's there not just to sympathize with you in weakness, to comfort you in trouble, but to deliver you from the greatest trouble you have. 
your sin. Not only is he skilled at consistently speaking words of wisdom and truth, but he also possesses the skill to administer discipline when needed. And he navigates conflict with grace, establishing peace through his sacrificial blood, even in the face of our own hostility against him. And here's why Jesus is unlike any friend you've ever had. He doesn't just make us better this morning. A great friend will make you better. Jesus will make you new. And so as you think about the sort of friends you need in your life, let me encourage you this morning that you need Jesus' friends in your life. And as you reflect on what kind of friend you aspire to be this morning and throughout this week, I hope you think about this. Allow me to urge you, if you haven't encountered Jesus, taking that initial step is crucial to being a faithful friend. Until you experience renewal through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you may indeed have friends. You can be kind and enjoyable, but you won't fully align with the biblical idea of being a faithful friend. You won't embody the kind of friend that is described as closer than a brother. You can become that kind of friend to others by walking the path laid out by Jesus Christ, our Lord, in his word. Let's pray. Father.